It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the party. I'm Sam Exer of Locked On Sports Minnesota. Hot takes on Kirk Cousins' wardrobe incoming, but first we meet the rest of the guys. Hi, welcome to the Minnesota Football Party. On this episode, we will not be defrauding the state of Mississippi. Welcome to the Minnesota Football Party. I'm Luke Braun. I'm just going to try to lose less money this week. Welcome to the Football Party. Luke Inman, Superior Sports Talk, ready to talk why Kirk Cousins is going to change the narrative about playing under the bright lights in prime time this Monday. An hour of Vikings football talk on Locked On Sports Minnesota and the Minnesota Football Party. Locked On Sports Minnesota podcast. It's endless Minnesota Vikings talk with the diverse voices of your local experts. It's time for the Minnesota Football Party. It's your guys hanging out talking next level Vikings football. So join in with the Athletics' Arif Hassan, Locked On Vikings' Luke Braun, Superior Sports Talk's Luke Inman, and Vikings insider Sam Ekstrom, plus the biggest names in Minnesota football for the Minnesota Football Party. And it starts now. Welcome in to the Minnesota Football Party today. I am Sam Ekstrom of Locked On Sports Minnesota, at Sam Ekstrom on Twitter. You already met the guys. It's Luke of Superior Sports Talk. It's other Luke Braun of Locked On Vikings. It's Arif Hassan of The Athletic. Plenty to come today, including Vikings Packers putting to bed this game. And did we have any changes of opinion in the last few days? We look ahead to Vikings-Eagles on Monday Night Football. We've got nerdy stats of the day. We've got party fouls. We've got Ron Johnson joining on the eve of his Gophers Hall of Fame induction. Can't wait for that. But first, Kirk Cousins. I mean, a man who knows how to dress for a post-game press conference. Um, Let's show the picture, if you're watching on YouTube, Kirk Cousins with the yellow shirt a la Tim Duncan. Um, this is this is easily the A topic today. Kirk Cousins going on Dan Patrick and saying that his wife lays out his clothes for him before he goes to a football game. He said that his swag is that he has no swag, but on the swag meter, one through ten, like where are we at with this yellow like Patagonia button up? Well, who was it, JJ, who said? His swag is having no swag, so it's like I want to give him a one, right? One out of ten, no swag, but maybe it's actually a little bit higher than that. It's Patagonia. Come on. Well, I, mean, I, I don't have a problem with. I don't have here. a problem with Patagonia. I just think like the colors are all wrong. Like that's the like it's it's the same color as his skin tone. The shirt. I mean, just the shirt. It was never going to look amazing, but if it was like a light blue, I think you'd understand it a little bit more, right? Like I think that that's a big part of it. Um, I don't know, man. This one's rough. It's it's very dad style. Uh, Julie usually dresses him a little bit better than this. Uh, I don't know what went wrong. Maybe there's miscommunication. <laughs> Maybe you just kind of fumbled under the bright lights. You know, it's a new season, one. a lot of pressure, Jitters. new coach. Yeah, yeah. Needed more. Yeah. Preseason. I mean, this is what happens when you don't play in the preseason, right? You yeah. don't have that right. kind of prep. So, uh, certainly, I think that that plays a pretty big role. I feel bad for Julie though. Uh, why did she have to get dragged into this? Why did Kirk have to? Basically, get ripped for it and then pin it on her and say, "No, you, I don't you know trust what Matthew myself." Matthew Collar would say about this. Matthew Collar would say, "This is just another example of Kirk throwing other people under the bus." 
There... <laughs> That's... I did, I'm not saying it. I'm You're saying not wrong about that. that. Right? <laughs> this is, this is going to get us and me specifically into much more trouble on Twitter for ripping Kirk Cousins. But, hey, I can take it. Um, we got actual football to talk about, too. Let's kind of put a bow on Vikings-Packers before pivoting to Vikings-Eagles. Um, what opinions might have changed between Sunday and now? Um, and specifically, if you've watched the All-22, I would love to hear what people observed. And by the way, NFL Game Pass, still a far below average product. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, what are we thinking about the Packers now, four days later? Uh, what remains true, and what maybe have you changed your mind on? Luke Braun. The biggest thing I changed my mind on is how much trouble the Packers are in. Like, if I were in a Packer world, I'd be hitting panic buttons because that was rough. Like, a lot of parts of that were rough. And I feel like I kind of thought we would know more. We would have to know more about Kevin O'Connell by now. But he kind of only got, like, three pages deep into his playbook, and that's all they needed. Can they just kind of kept spamming the same, like, the, kind of the same things. And they kept getting busted coverages and easy pitch and catch. And it was, like really easy so I, I guess it's a good thing right they only had to they didn't have to play all their cards um but i yeah i think it's nice to see a, a real life example of what kevin o'connell is going to bring here he was such an unknown for the whole offseason and it's what's the scheme going to be like is it this is the mcveigh thing how's he going to run it how's it going to be different from the rams and i feel like we've got a nice example of that so that i like that that's starting to solidify um so I guess it's probably the biggest change is that we're on our way to really a better understanding there. Arif, yeah, you're an all 22 guy. Yeah, I think aside from that, I mean, there really isn't much to say, right? Because it's week one, the Packers were depleted. They're already kind of depleted offensively, but you know they ended up without their top receiver, their top two offensive linemen. They lost another lineman halfway throughout the game. It's really difficult to get a good read on you know how good the Vikings are from a personnel perspective, but from a play calling perspective or a coaching perspective, I think we did learn a lot about Kevin O'Connell. I think that we learned um, that he is the kind of person, kind of like Sean McVay, to hunt matchups on offense to make sure that you get those matchups. He is the kind of person to, to try and coach Kirk into identifying those matchups instead of just going through, you know, progression reads. We'll see if that kind of continues throughout the season. But that's kind of one of my biggest gripes about Cousins is that when there's a clear matchup advantage, sometimes he moves off of it in favor of a traditional progression. So maybe he'll be able to pursue that. Um, but, you know, it's it's very much, you know, wait and see on a lot of these things. I like that the game plan seemed to be very team and opponent specific. I like that the Vikings are attempting to reach into the bag of, of, of all of the flexibility that they have given the depth of various positions. And I like that, that Kevin O'Connell seems to have a pretty good understanding of how to distribute his head coach responsibilities and his offensive coordinator responsibilities. But until we get to a point where you're in the final minute and managing timeouts manners, or you're at a point where a critical challenge might uh, decide the outcome of the game, uh, we're not really going to get a good sense of his ability to do clock or game management at the same time he does offense coordinator stuff at the same time he does all of the rest of this head coaching stuff. So uh, I'm very much wait and see on a lot of this. Um, I, I think that the All-22 showcases a pretty interesting Vikings team, one that likes to you know confuse opposing defenses and put them into favorable defensive looks. But for now, you know we, we'll, we'll have to see kind of what comes out of the Eagles game, which is a substantially different offense and substantially different defense. I, I, I was just going to stem off a reef and Luke saying that, 
you know, when it comes to KOC. And again, a right. Like, we don't know about game management and things like that, but the matchups were good. And I think you think about how important it is to have that good working relationship between the head coach and the quarterback throughout the entire NFL, not just Kirk and KOC and the Vikings, but everywhere. Coming from Zim, uh, watching that relationship just break down the way it did to KOC, a former NFL quarterback himself, I think it's just huge for Kirk and this team. A lot of talk. Remember, were they going to tear the whole thing down and rebuild? They say, no, we got a legitimate playoff caliber team here. If we make, you know, a few minor adjustments here, some minor tweaks, bringing in the right head coach, though, to fit this team and offense specifically was a must. You mentioned it. He comes from that McVay tree. He's been preparing for this head coaching role now for years. And I just think, again, the marriage specifically with the Vikings made a lot of sense. So I think removing any doubt that KOC was the right hire at least for the relationship with the quarterback is trending the right way after just one game again not a ton to glean off of x's and o's wise but i think maybe schematically or on the field is just positional starters go and maybe i'm getting a little nitpicky here because again just one game but you know going into the season i was worried about that third defensive line spot i thought that was the spot with the most questions teams would maybe game plan against an attack on a weekly basis but you know, after watching the Packer game and a little bit of the film, not going to lie, I'm getting a little bit more weary of our cornerbacks, maybe the ceiling of Pat P specifically. And, you know, just to finally see it in action, I think it's just going to be maybe a little bit more area concern throughout the season, having a number two type of cornerback line up against teams, number one wideouts every week, just feels like an obvious mismatch. And then maybe from a depth perspective too, after Pat P and Cam, it's just kind of still a lot of wait and see. They need to get Boot Jr. healthy just to soften the blow of not having that true number one lockdown guy. And again, I, I kind of knew what to expect with Pat P heading in, so it's not like super shocking. Um, but I don't think maybe personally I put enough emphasis on on maybe just how much of a concern it would be. I'm not hitting the panic button yet. I think there's ways mm -hmm. to scheme around it. I think getting Lewis seen on the field and maybe letting Bynum help out at cornerback a little bit with depth and sub packages. Ed Donatel can do a, a few other things. But I just fully expect, after watching that Packer game, you, you knew Christian Watson should have caught that 75-yard touchdown pass, that maybe teams are going to start picking on Pappy a little bit more moving forward, especially when opposing offenses have that, you know, dominant number one type of wideout, like we're going to see in Philly with A.J. Brown. So that's kind of the little thing I learned in week one. Yeah, maybe a, a little red flag on Pat P, but at least Cameron Dantzler held his own and didn't get in a two-minute situation, so we didn't have to mm -hmm. worry about Cam Dantzler struggling down the stretch in a critical spot. Um, I do want to get into a couple fan questions that I want to sprinkle in. One of them is about uh, the Packers' offense in that game. But first, I want to remind people that we are available on the Locked On Sports Minnesota app on Amazon Fire and Roku. You can get all the Locked On Sports Minnesota shows. Check it out, Amazon Fire and Roku. And also, this episode is brought to you by BetOnline.net, your home for pro and college football betting needs. Find all the latest developments, game matchups, news, and podcasts, including this year's opening week games last week and all the lines upcoming in week two, three, four, and beyond. BetOnline.net, that Vikings-Eagles over-under, it's coming down from 52 now to 50 and a half. And we're going to have our bet online wagering segment later on in the show. They've also got MLB, MMA, boxing, and golf. So it's not just football. It's every single sport. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. It's bet online. It's where the game starts. Uh, we do have some Twitter questions to work in today. And I want to get to this one that kind of asks about 
the difference between the Vikings defense and the Packers offense? Because I think that there is some question like, what is the actual story? That's what at Viking After Dark asks. Was the defense actually impressive or was the Packers offense inept? And how does this play into defending the Eagles offense? Which, I mean, I'll say off the top, it's a pretty different offense that Philadelphia is going to show on Monday than the Packers showed last Sunday. Um, but, you know, Luke Braun, you kind of came out of the gate and said, you think the Packers are in trouble. Do you think the Packers' ineptitude outweighs what the Vikings did defensively? Outweighs is a way harder question. It's close. It feels even to me, I, I guess, if that counts as an answer. But um, I, I think if we're just focusing on the Vikings here, because, like, Aaron Rodgers declined open receivers and crumpled into sacks and – it's weird to see that from him. That's one of the things that I'm like really uh, like I would be really worried about if I didn't wish ill upon them. <laughs> Did the, he have an open man Vikings, on the Wadham sack on that cleanup sack, Luke? Did you watch the all 22 on that? Cause I thought he had a guy that he could have used to. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Um, it was like yeah, a scramble one, drill type the, situation. So that's requires a high level did. of trust, which he doesn't have, but. Yeah. Well, that's true. Uh, Christian Watson was wide open on one and he ended up, it was one of the ones that um, Jordan Hicks was like caught chasing in the flat for a big gain. Uh, Christian Watson was open for like 20 yards and he just like moved off and it was wild. But yeah, anyways, Jordan Hicks is probably my answer to like what concern you want. Like what of anything in the defense would the Eagles possibly exploit? It's that Jordan Hicks was really hesitant. When I saw it live, I was like, oh, he looks slow. And when I watched it on the tape, it's, oh, he's just, like, second-guessing a bunch. And he's turning his hips to, like, zone off when he should be chasing something. Or, like, like when you're in zone match, once somebody is in your zone and he's your guy, you kind of have to take him. Um, and he's, like, still sort of trying to pass guys to uh, players who aren't there or just, like, not – He's, he's thinking a lot and not feeling it a little bit. You would hope that that kind of thing clears out as you get a little more comfortable and that was just the first game and all that stuff. Um, but a really hesitant game and a lot of those problems in the flat were really on him or on coverage busts, which would be the other thing is there were just a lot of miscommunications. Um, and some of those were on Hicks as well. But that, like... If you're looking for the secret thing that makes it so that the Vikings defense isn't going to give up just seven any every time, it's probably that. But the Vikings like also played really well up front. Like you had a whole bunch of mm -hmm. penetration from all four of the like main front four. Um, Cameron Bynum played well. Harrison Smith played well as like insert safeties. There, there's a lot of stuff that just was good. There's some stuff that was bad, and there's some stuff that was the Packers' fault. I don't know how that all mixes together tally it all up and you probably get a really muddied picture um but as always yeah i guess it's some of both well how encouraging though reef that they got pressure with their front without having to blitz because i felt like the mike zimmer defenses of of recent years were like the baseball player who only homers when they're ahead eight to nothing like zimmer's defenses would get teams in third and 12 then they would blitz then they would get sacks and they'd get a lot of sacks but they really didn't have good front four pressure and maybe it's because of the punchlessness of their interior pass rushers. Um, but I felt like for their dearth of blitzes in that Packers game, they got a lot of, a lot of good work done. 
Yeah, I mean, they, they showed Blitz a lot, so they're able to create a lot of one-on-ones. Um, I, I think that just individually, the, the, the front four performances were, were standout. In fact, I think that there's more to unlock uh, from Zedaria Smith and Daniel Hunter. That's how good I think the interior defensive line played. I thought Harrison Phillips had a great game. I thought Dalvin Tomlinson had a remarkable game. I thought he had um, one of the best games from a defensive tackle from a Viking I've seen in you know a couple of years. It's been a while. Uh, and so having that accessible and then having, you know, all of the pass rush plans that have opened up, you know, new opportunities for players, um, that I think has allowed the front four to be as effective as we've seen them in a long time without having to send an extra guy, without having to send somebody like an Anthony Barr through. Like there were like uh, with three or four blitzes the entire game when they sent more than five players and two of them nearly got home, the Jordan Hicks one and uh, and Eric Hendricks. So uh, they did a really excellent job of timing when they would actually send blitzes. They did a really excellent job of faking when those blitzes would come. Uh, but it was primarily, you know, the effort of the individual one-on-ones that we saw up front that were able to create pressure, get Aaron Rodgers off of his, uh, his spot. Like, if you look at his pressure rate, it was something like 30%. That's actually uh, below league average in an individual game, which is about 33%. But the reason that the pressure didn't show up in, in you know, those pressure accounts that we typically see from, like, PFF or SIS or next-gen stats is because he anticipated pressure to come so quickly that he got rid of the ball super quickly um, to prevent that pressure from arriving in the first place, right? He had an average time to throw in a clean pocket of 2.03 seconds. That was the third fastest of anybody in a clean pocket in the NFL in week one. He was terrified of the pressure that was coming up front. And I think a lot of that has to do with what Dalvin Tomlinson was able to do, uh, with what uh, Harrison Phillips was able to do, with what, you know, the the fakes from Eric Hendricks were able to do. So um, I was really impressed because, you know, I've been critical of the Dalvin Tomlinson signing not because I think he's a bad player, but because I think that, you know, it was a bit redundant at the time with Michael Pierce. And part of the problem was pass rush. Now, if he has that, um, he can turn into a top five defensive tackle in the NFL. Uh, I'm so glad I brought that up because when I wa- went back and watched the game again, uh, the big thing I came away with was exactly that. How good Dalvin Tomlinson and Harrison Phillips were in the middle of that defensive line. And they just don't get a lot of attention because of the position they play. They don't rack up the stats, but they had such a huge impact, like Arif mentioned, on Rodgers, helped open things up for that pass rush. I think I saw on PFF, they both graded out really nicely. And then Harrison Smith, too, still that dude, flying around per usual, still looked like the same old Harrison Smith we're used to, both physically in the run game and then just the range in the pass game. Really nice to see he hasn't lost a step. I think a lot of people were maybe just assuming he would because he's now 33 years old. And I think it all circles back to, you know, Luke Brown mentioned, all right, Packers, they're in trouble. They were down two offensive linemen heading in, Elton Jenkins and um, Bakhtiari, and then they lose John Runyon as well. So that has to be taken into account. I think, you know, the other stuff with the receivers, uh, Reef mentioned, all right, Rodgers on a rollout scramble drill. You need that timing. You need that trust, that chemistry, right? Well, that they will grow as time goes on. But, you know, some of these injuries were, were too much to, uh, you know, just kind of patch up here and there. And the, the Vikings defensive line, specifically, again, Tomlinson and, and Harrison Phillips really took advantage of that. Uh, we have one more fan question I want to get to before we get too far away from the Packers game. Um, which player impressed in the game that you weren't expecting? This is from Dr. Bops. And he mentions Harrison Phillips as a player that he liked. We've already mentioned Harrison Phillips. And Arif, you mentioned Dalvin Tomlinson. Uh, are there any other sort of unsung heroes from this game that stood out to you? Ezra Cleveland. Dude bald. 
He was yeah. Yeah, he had a uh, good game. really great as a puller. Yeah, good in pass pro. Yeah, as a Ed Ingram of, um, uh, against the pass highlights. took his lumps. Yeah, Ed Ingram took his lumps for yeah. sure against the pass. Kenny Clark, you knew that going in. You knew that really wasn't his strength anyways. But in the run game against Kenny Clark yeah, and some of those other big guys, it's pretty solid. I mean, again, first game as a rookie starting at right guard. Uh, plus, he got a help and chip out with Garrett Bradbury next year the whole game. I thought the run game specifically was pretty impressive. But you're right, Sam. Like, pass Phillips and Tomlinson, it's kind of tough. Um, maybe Chandon Sullivan, I thought, you know, he was pretty good against his former team. But, yeah, I think there's a big drop-off af- after those big two. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm surprised to see Harrison Phillips just mentioned in that tweet because, um, personally, I've been beating the Harrison Phillips drum all offseason. I thought that his camp was extraordinary. I thought that he had one of the best camps uh, of any Viking. I thought that he had a better camp than Zedarius Smith and Daniil Hunter. Like, I, to me, it wasn't surprising at all that he played really well. Um, so that was kind of interesting to me. I do want to see more when it comes to Patrick Jones and DJ Wanham. I don't want to say that they had good games or bad games yet. Obviously, Wanham ends up with that cleanup sack, but um, I'm kind of curious to see if they progress. So they're, they're two guys that um, I've, I'm kind of taking a note on. Uh, all right, before we get to Ron Johnson, we have our nerdy stat of the day coming up and also a reminder to check out LockedOnPodcast.com slash Minnesota. That's the hub locked on podcast where you can find the info, find the links to all of our audio shows, the Ron Johnson show, superior sports talk and the Minnesota football party. Uh, Ron Johnson joins us momentarily on the Minnesota football party on the eve of his Gophers hall of fame induction. But again, check it out. Locked on podcast.com slash Minnesota. Uh, nerdy stat of the day. Let's go around the horn. Luke Inman. What do you got? Well, I was going to bust this one out last week. Didn't get to it. I saw a stat that Blake Brandle last year lined up in 67 snaps. 66 of them were at tight end. They love to use them in those jumbo sets, especially near the goal line. If you remember the Chargers game last year, Tyler Conklin caught a little two-yard touchdown. You can see Brandle running a shallow mm-hmm. crossing route in the end zone, getting the pick on the linebackers, causing some confusion in traffic. Obviously, entire new system now, new playbook, but Fun little stat there and something to keep in mind for defenses when Brandle does get on the field. Brandle, one snap in Sunday's win over the Packers. He might have been the secret sauce there. Yeah, look <laughs> out. Maybe two snaps on Monday. Arif, what do you got? All right. Uh, let's talk about uh, an ESPN stat called pass rush win rate. It is the rate at which in a defensive lineman or a pass rusher uh, beats an opposing offensive lineman or pass blocker um, without either causing a pressure or not causing a pressure within the first two and a half seconds of a drop back. This uh, stat uh, correlates to future pass rush win rate, future pressure rate, and future game win rate better than any other pass rush stat that we have. It does a better job than pressures, does a better job than sacks, does a great job of determining how well an offensive lineman wins, whether or not the uh, team that they're going up against uh, gets rid of the ball quickly or not. Um, so the two pass rush win rates I want to isolate are one Dalvin Tomlinson's he ranked third in the NFL week one uh, was able to, to beat opposing offensive linemen better than any other defensive lineman except for two other players and then the second one is the Eagles pass rush win rate up against uh, one of the best offensive lines in the NFL they had uh, a 59% overall as a team pass rush win rate. Uh, and that is the highest we saw of anybody in week one. So that's something that the Vikings will have to watch out for as they head into next week's game. Josh Sweat, 
better than you think. Luke Braun. Arif, hold on. Arif, what was that stat? What was that specific uh, stat called? Or, or um, pass rush? What, what did you? Oh, okay. Where do you find it? Uh, I always Google it, but it's at ESPN. Um, so I just Google pass rush win rate ESPN. And it shows up as like the top page, 2022 pass rush win rates. They got it for each position, defensive tackle, edge rusher. They've got pass block win rates uh, for uh, guards, tackles, centers. They've got run block win rates, which uh, Ed Ingram did do well there. Um, and, uh, and, and run defense win rates as well. So run stop win rates. So uh, it's got basically every element of line play and it correlates better to uh, the element of play that you're looking for, whether it's creating pressure or stuffing the run. Uh, better than actual tackles or pressures or sacks. It's really cool. Mm, outstanding. Nice. Love it. That's free for all to see in this economy. Uh, yeah. Let get to our uh, nerdy stats for Luke Braun, and then I'll have mine, and then we'll get to Ron Johnson. Yeah. Uh, so as I've talked to Eagles people prepping for this game, every single one of them has brought up this stat. They seem very bothered by it. Uh, they have... Jordan Davis played less than a third of the snaps against the Lions. In snaps where Jordan Davis was on the field, the Lions got 2.9 yards per carry. In snaps where Jordan Davis was not on the field, the Lions got 10 yards per carry. This is an insane split, and they're all really, really mad that Jordan Davis only played 22 snaps in that game. I don't know if it was a, a conditioning thing, if it was a, a mm -hmm. fatigue thing, because he's a big guy. Like You're not going to get a guy that big on every single snap. But usually they play more like half and less like a third. So they're all really mad at Jonathan Cannon right now over that. Uh, I don't know. Something to keep an eye on is how often Jordan Davis is even on the field. Super interesting. Uh, here's my nerdy stat of the day. Jalen Hurts, 2 of 10 against the Lions when pressured. So he clearly wasn't very comfortable when he was getting pressured. Let's look at how he's done previously in his career. Last year, 30th of 40 in under-pressure completion percentage in 2020 when he was a rookie, 39th of 39 in under-pressure completion percentage. So methinks you want to get pressure on Jalen Hurts. Make him throw the football. And Ron Johnson joins us now on the Minnesota Football Party. He is at 3RonJohnson on Twitter. He hosts the Ron Johnson Show on Lockdown Sports Minnesota, and he is a Gophers Hall of Fame inductee as of tomorrow ron welcome to the show is there a speech involved in the induction and uh how is that going if so uh no no speech but uh i am gonna do the terrell owens like i should have been here a long time ago uh moment no uh, <laughs> no uh justin guard is actually he's he's running it so he's gonna be interviewing me um you know I, he kind of asked me to to you know, help him lead me to where I want to go. I really, honestly, a uh, little overwhelmed, I guess. Got a lot going on in my life, and then this pops up. So don't really know where I wanted to go. Uh, but I do know it's been a little different with my dad not being around. Um, you know, every moment in sports, you know, we shared that moment together. He was inducted into the Hall of Fame at uh, Eastern Michigan. So he always would joke around about that, like, when are you ever going to do it? So, uh, you know, so I'll definitely be wearing his Super Bowl ring uh tomorrow and to the game saturday uh you know as we celebrate this weekend yeah it's super awesome to see uh to see you have this honor and obviously we'll be watching on saturday against colorado um 
I, I think Matt put together some stats of your career. I mean, top three in basically every Gophers category. If it wasn't for Tyler Johnson coming along, you know, you would be uh, number one in some of these as well. I mean, like when you look back, I guess, is this sort of validation for you of what you were able to accomplish in uh, in your Gophers career? Uh, no, I, I think it, uh, I never needed validation. Uh, honestly, I never did it for the stats. Uh, I just played football and that was, that was what I showed up to do. Um, it does, it does, uh, feel good to, uh, finally be recognized, but I will say, uh, Tyler and all those guys, they played 12 games a season. Like, I think if I played 12 games a season, I'd had like 37, 38 touchdowns. I'd have probably had a, you know, 200 plus catch, you know, career with, I mean, you give me, four more games plus then because we would have went six and six at least we'd have had four more or two more bowl games too oh yeah no and and funny stat i didn't realize this like back in i forgot what year 99 they didn't actually count bowl game stats in your career stats that's kind of new so i think huh. my junior year i actually have more stats than they're giving me credit for like i think i'm actually like over three thousand, but they're not giving me credit because if you go to like pro football reference uh, it puts an asterisk by my junior season, which they say bowl game stats don't count. So I've been I've been lobbying, trying to tell people like, hey, you got to add those bowl. That's two more catches, and that's you know I think eighty five more yards from that bowl game against NC State when uh, Philip Rivers absolutely destroyed us in the second half. Uh, him and Corin Robinson just went to work, and uh, you know the Miami life got to a lot of our players. They had drank too much, so by the second half they were done. That I mean, that's bogus. We got to lobby to get those stats back uh, on your record. That's crazy. Um, well, we, we congratulate you big time. Let's go around the horn. Luke Inman, what do you got for Ron? Yeah, for Ron obviously had an illustrious career for the Gophers. Well-deserved going into the Gophers Hall of Fame. Congrats on that. You saw all the stats. I know you got a lot of them, but what's one or two of your favorite memories playing for those Gopher those great gopher teams a specific game maybe even a specific play a guide you play against what always sticks out to you when you think back from your favorite memories on the field uh honestly it's the stuff that people really didn't get to see it was the behind the scenes stuff like my freshman year playing against ohio state uh andy katzenmoyer gary berry uh now mm. Diggs, you know antoine winfield senior like it was the it was all mm. names and names i think they were like number three or four in the country at that point um and we go into Ohio State to play them. And he, Andy Katzenmoyer, absolutely decleats me. Like, he took me off my feet. Literally, my feet were in the air above my head. Uh, Antoine Winfield then hits me, and I slide so far. I end up hitting, like, some water bucket on their sideline. It was a, still a catch in the first down. But he absolutely destroyed me. And uh, at halftime, our other receiver had got – Luke Leverson had gotten hurt. Like, he got hit in the ribs, too. Like, I don't know who hit him. But they were – it was a brutal game. That defense was tough. And I'll never forget Tony Tony Henderson looking over at our trainer, like, signaling, like, hey, 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 come here, come here, come here. And he needed rib cages because he was calling for the rib cages because he's like, look, these two dudes just got crushed out there. I'm not going out there without a rib cage on. So, like, moments like that were, like, just you, – you, they're priceless uh, because it's, like, the trueness of football. And then another one was Glenn Mason and our defensive coordinator uh, got into it in practice. And I'll never forget, we were killing the defense. And so David Gibbs was like, screw this. If y'all want to really, like, kill us, I'm going to blitz. And he blitzed in practice. <laughs> didn't tell our team a blitz was coming. Our quarterback did pick it up. 
absolutely got he didn't hit him but he kind of you know pushed the quarterback out the way glenn mason took the like the play sheet and just threw it like in dave david Gibbs direction it's like are you freaking kidding me and he didn't say freaking um but he's like what are you doing blah, blah. like and and Gibbs was like looking at him like hey if you want to if you want to take advantage and try to beat our dbs on double moves i'm gonna do what i'm gonna do in the game which is i'm gonna blitz and uh yeah so him and mason that's why david gibbs ended up leaving because him and Mason never really like they were great Cole, you know, defensive coordinator, head coach, but they never saw eye to eye on some of that practice type stuff. So like that was another funny one because we were all sitting there like, dude, this dude just blitzed in like team. Like, what are we? What are we? we it's not blitz, period. You can't just blitz. And uh, yeah, Mason was so he like threw this play sheet that gives like, are you freaking <laughs> kidding me? Um, so yeah, so moments like that, like that's the stuff where I look back and it's like you can't get those moments back, but we'll always have them. We'll talk about them. Uh, congratulations, Ron. It's a super great honor. Um, you've been too humble. All right. Tell me something that you are <laughs> beaming with pride about from your Gophers career. All right. What is the one thing that you are most proud of? Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, honestly, like I met my wife, like Tony Dungy. Uh, I was going to go to either Penn state or Michigan probably. And, uh, Tony Dungy last minute, like Minnesota was actually my last visit. So I had already taken visits. I had already kind of made my mind up. Uh, you know, I was kind of leaning towards Penn State because my best friend Spice Adams had already committed there as a sophomore. So uh, when I grew to 6'2", my junior year, all of a sudden Joe Paterno and Jay Paterno start coming to the school, wanted to talk to me. They offered me a, a, a chance to come visit, like for an official visit. They're like, we'd love to have you out. Uh, you know, we think you could really fit in as an athlete. And so I ended up picking Minnesota, but I ended up meeting my wife. And so to this day, Tony Dungy, every time I see him, you know, he, he takes credit uh for my wife uh because he's like look if it wasn't for me you would have been at like michigan with some detroit girl or you would have been at penn state with some <laughs> pennsylvania chick um you know i got you to minnesota and you know now you were able to meet your wife and uh when i end up coaching with tony with the coats uh that was one of the cool things like he, he he broke a team meeting down and like told all the players like hey let's give coach ron a round of applause his wife is uh going to the olympics uh and uh you know blah blah he you know he thanked himself like yeah, if it wasn't for me uh he never would be married to an olympian so you know like like you know he always likes to pick on me like that because you know i've tony was there when i was born uh back in 1980 with the steelers like so um i think that's what i take pride in like just you know i met my wife and i, I had a good career i was never was in a paper for anything bad like you can't look up any papers and say like ron johnson got a dui or he was out late and missed a game or he got he punched a cop and went to jail uh you know i graduated college in three years so even that like my senior year i was a graduate i had already graduated these guys are graduating because they've been to school for 17 years now like tanner morgan um but i graduated <laughs> as a junior so uh, i took pride in that like going to class uh, being able to be a, you know, three, three, four, three, five grade point average. Like I got my transcripts cause I was getting my MBA. I had no idea I had a three, seven, one semester, uh, my junior year. Like I literally had no clue what my transcript looked like. I never had to look at it. Only thing I cared about was, am I eligible to play? And when do I graduate? That was it. Uh, but found out I had a three, seven. So I take pride in that. Like, cause I can show my kids that like, Hey, like I was a good athlete. Uh, mom was a good athlete, but she got her master's. Uh, your dad graduated as a junior, you know, so we can, we, we can't just talk the talk. We walk the walk. We can tell our kids like, look, we were, we were student athletes. Like some people weren't. Um, and then I forget that I was first team all big 10 in 2000. Cause the big 10 was loaded that year too, with David Terrell and 
uh, Plaxico Burris. You look at all those guys, mm. and I still was first team uh, big, uh, big, uh, big, or the Plaxico maybe leaving '99. I can't remember, but I was uh, first team All Big Ten. So you know, even that, you know, having that to to put a feather in my cap to be able to say, you know what, like you know, I did pretty well amongst you know some of the top in the Big Ten. That's really cool. Your uh, your mention of uh, you know bowl records not counting and stuff like that reminds me of how nuts Barry Sanders' college season was, right? Like he is still atop the rushing leaderboard despite of only eleven games that count towards his record versus Melvin Gordon, who's right below him with fourteen games, I believe, it was at nearly two hundred and forty rushing yards per game versus Gordon's one hundred and eighty four. Uh, you know Sanders is missing out about you know four hundred yards there, so. That's pretty cool, and I think that if you had a little, you know, a couple four hundred yards added to your your total, you might have um, a little bit more. Uh, to, you got the Hall of Fame a little bit sooner. Um, but I, my question is, uh, you know, one for three, zero point seven yards per attempt. You threw the ball a couple of times at Minnesota. Uh, what's the story there? Why they why they let you uh, throw the rock? Uh, yeah. So I, uh, the Penn State game. If you ever look at the long run that was actually like a negative 27 yard run. They counted it as, uh, it was supposed to be a pass, but nobody blocked LeVar Arrington, like go figure. And so I get the reverse <laughs> and I'm supposed to throw it. And LeVar Arrington is like barreling down. And unlike Aaron Rodgers, I'm not about to just duck and, and tumble. I, I tried to reverse out and run to this day. I still don't think my knee, my knee didn't hit. They said my shin hit, which is down. I don't think my shin even touched the ground, but if we were in Penn state, they wanted Penn state to win. They were number two in the country. So whatever. Uh, but they called it a negative. But yeah. So in one game, in one game, uh, yeah. Screw you, ABC. You guys couldn't beat us. Um, but when you think about, when you think about the pass, I threw the side up to a colleague for a touchdown. So side up to a colleague was my first touchdown I threw. And then my second pass was actually the same play that we, we ran at Penn State. We ran it earlier against Illinois. And like, or no, the next year, sorry, ran against Illinois my junior year. Wide open, Tony, pa or Tony Henderson down the field. I chucked it up probably 50, 60 yards. It's a beauty. He's running under it. It literally goes through his bread basket like Christian uh, Watson. Christian for Watson. Uh, <laughs> um, and, he, and you never looked and his so, way again. <laughs> I never looked his way again. I'm like, I'm throwing it to the quarterback. I'm throwing it to the quarterback. I'm not throwing it to you anymore. So Assad ended up getting my touchdown my, my senior junior year because I'm like, I'm not throwing it to the receiver. He's not going to catch it. And so um, Tony, Patterson, Tony, Tony Henderson dropped it. And I'll never forget, he comes off on the sideline. And he tries to say some BS about the sun was in his eyes. And then we all like went and looked where the sun was at. And we're like, dude, the sun is like over here. Like that sun is not in your face. And he literally tried to sell it so bad when he sat down on the bench, he was asking the trainers to grab him some sunglasses. And we're like, dude, like oh, it is incredible. not that serious. Like you, you dropped the ball. It's okay. It was a 60 yard bomb. It should have been another touchdown. Uh, but he screwed me. He screwed me over. So, yeah, I ended up only having <laughs> one completion. I think I threw it twice. Uh, yeah. But it was a touchdown. Do, do My one completion really was a have the best hands on the team? I, I keep hearing quarterbacks always have the best hands on the team. Oh, hell no. Nah. No. Uh, <laughs> not even close. Uh, <laughs> you, you saw Tom Brady. Tom Brady tried to run the yeah. special. Yeah. So what happened? That's no, right. Quarterbacks do not have the best hands. They they can play basketball a little bit, some of them. Uh, but no, catching like some, I will say, like Josh Allen probably does. He's an athlete. Lamar Jackson for sure does. He's an athlete. 
Um, I'd say probably Pat Mahomes. Um, I'm trying to think who else. I think Justin Herbert. Herbert looks like he can go. Uh, but some of these guys, yeah, I don't, I don't want to see Joe Burrow running routes. Like, nah, 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 nah. That's not his thing. <laughs> icy, icy, icy Burrow. No, like you just stick to throwing the ball. Uh, yeah, Tom Brady, don't ever do it again. Like you, you have no shot. You're not Nick Foles. Nick Foles is an athlete. Tom Brady is a great quarterback. There's a difference. Ron, we've been talking about Vikings Packers all week on the Ron Johnson show, and we'll talk more about Vikings Eagles on the round table tomorrow. But give us your early take on that Eagles game and what uh, one key is for the Vikings to get a W. Uh, either the Lions defense sucks or the Eagles offense is really good or both teams just suck and nobody cares to stop anybody or both teams offenses are really good and their defenses just couldn't figure it out. So that's my early take. I have no freaking clue what's going to happen uh, because the Lions, we don't know what the Lions are. So I think this week two and three are going to be really crucial for the Vikings. This First six games. I said this earlier in the year for Vikings.com. This is the most. This is a crucial start, and this is a very favorable schedule. When you look at, you take home field advantage away from the Saints. You have to travel. Uh, you're gonna face Jameis Winston. You're gonna face um, uh, what's his name, Jalen Hurts. Like you're not facing the names, the names and quarterbacks early in the year besides Aaron Rodgers, and you're gonna get Jared Goff. So, um, what I'll say about this Eagles game. It's that offense and Jalen Hurts, they're going to go as far as he goes. If you can rattle him like it's Z and, and, and Daniil and Wanham and, and Hicks and the way they played that first game. I mean, we didn't even have an Eric Kendricks blitz. Um, like Eric Kendricks seems like he's going to be the space guy and then Hicks is going to be the banger. Uh, we didn't have a safety blitz. Like we didn't, they didn't do all the stuff they can do. We didn't even see Brian Asamoah like big time play. So I think the fact that the Packers not having as many receivers as they wanted to, the Vikings were able to stay in base a lot. Uh, passing downs were really forced passing downs. Like it wasn't like a third and seven where it was like, ah, we don't know what we're going to get. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see what the Eagles give them as far as the RPO. How much do they run Jalen Hurts? Uh, do they want to utilize his speed when you have, if you need to bring in a guy in like Brian Asamoah, Cam Bynum played awesome at safety. Like you never noticed he was out there. Um, so I think that's going to be uh, the big deal about that. He's Ron Johnson at three Ron Johnson on Twitter, the Ron Johnson show locked on sports, Minnesota uh, relish this weekend. Soak it all in Ron. Uh, we'll be watching that Colorado game on Saturday and uh, good luck tomorrow with that induction. All right. Appreciate it. Peace Take out. Care, Ron. Ron Johnson, Gophers <laughs> hall of famer time to gamble. Guys, the bet online wagering segment. Remember, these are the rules. If you missed it last week, each of us will make a pick against the spread and then an over under. We have a thousand dollars mythical bankroll. These are the results from last week. Arif, you're the only one who gained money. You made your bigger That's bet right. on your win. So you are up to 1014 and change. I lost two dollars and change. I'm down to 997. I uh, went one and one. Luke Inman, one and one, but you uh, lost on your bigger bet, so you're down to 943. And Luke Braun, 0 oh and 2, down to 850, so a little hole to dig out of. Uh, it's a $200 max bet this week, and we start with Luke Braun as we go around in a rotation. So, snake draft, Luke starts, then I'll go, then Inman, then a reef, and then in reverse. Remember, you can't double up on the games. Luke Braun, what will you pick? Uh, I'm looking at that Houston Texans Denver Broncos game. 
feels like the kind of game that's going to be sloppy and grindy and weird and there's a 10-point spread. I kind of feel like it's going to be closer than that. Uh, Davis Mills is able, I think, to keep them in that game a little bit more than that. And uh, pretty worried about the Broncos from what I saw in that Monday night game. So I'm going to take Houston plus 10. I'll put uh, 25 bucks on it. Yeah, and they don't – wait, they don't have the odds on the uh, on the plus 10. They just have money lines. Is that what I'm seeing? Uh, so what do we give him? We give him minus 110 if it's not listed? Okay. So I Texans see it minus – minus 110. Oh, it is. I don't know why I don't. Well, how much did you wager on it? 25 bucks. 25 $200 limit? You sure. 25 bucks? Oh, my God. I lost the, 150 uh, bucks mi- last time. The minimum is 10% of the maximum. So 20 Double is Double down, minimum. baby. But I think I like the Titans as big underdogs as well. They are plus 10 against Buffalo. And I know Buffalo is phenomenal, and I might get burned. But I also think that a team that can run the ball like Tennessee that – you know, has uh, a good coach, a, a pretty good quarterback. I just think that they're going to keep that a little closer. And had they beaten the Giants, and they almost did, I'm not sure this line would be what it is. And had Buffalo not killed the Rams like they did, you know, I, I just think that there's the week one overreaction where this is all the information we have about teams. Therefore, um, that line is probably about three points more than it should be. So I think the Titans plus 10. And I, is it minus one ten? Because I don't see, I don't see the lines. I don't know. What's yeah, going that'll on. just be the default if we don't see it. Minus one ten. Okay. That's pretty standard, right? Yes, sounds good. All minus right. one ten. All right, I'm going Titans. All right. Uh, before I even start, I'm not switching my bet value up anymore. That already burned me once. It's burned me in the past. I'm going even. I don't have like a hunch one game over another. We know how hard it is to gamble in the NFL. The The gambling gods in the NFL are a fickle bunch already. So I'm going 100 across the board from here on out. I think there's a lot of meat left on the bone in that Viking-Packer game. We know that game would be completely different if Christian Watson hauls that first pass in. And I think Rodgers didn't pull the trigger quite a few times on a lot of open receivers. I'm going to take the over in the Vikings-Eagles games. You mentioned it already dropped a point and a half. I feel like I'm getting good value here, Sam. 15 and a half. Give me the over 100 bucks. And what are the odds on that? Minus one. The odds on the over are 110. Okay. All right. Arif Hassan, you get to go back to back. Sure. Um, really surprised none of you took this. Uh, maybe I am missing something because I'm a dummy, but I'll take that chance. Bengals, Cowboys, Bengals are only minus seven, despite the Cowboys having a backup quarterback in, unless, again, I've missed something and that thumb has magically healed for Dak Prescott. People, I think, are overreacting to the four or five or however many interceptions uh, Dak Pre- or that Joe Burrow threw against the Steelers. I don't think that's going to replicate itself, even though Trevon Diggs is on the other side of the field. I think that they're going to have an efficient and effective offense. I think Dallas is not. Um, and I think that there's going to just be a lot there. So I'm going to put $150 on uh, the Bengals minus seven there. Weird opportunity mm-hmm. there. It's minus 112. Um, then I'm also going to uh, continue to disrespect uh, NDSU players. This time it's going to be Washington, Detroit. I'm going to take the under 48 and a half. Um, that is a really high over under. And I don't really understand it. I expect a number of picks to be thrown in this game. I expect a lot of pressure. Uh, from the Lions in this game. 
um, or just in general, a lot of pressure. Uh, this one is, is, is really odd to me. I don't really understand why it's this high. I think people think that Carson Wentz has fixed himself given what he did last week, and that is an absurd proposition. Uh, that's going to be $100. Uh, and uh, let's see. I don't know if that was... I just really wanted to talk about Carson Wentz. I didn't look at the actual numbers. <laughs> minus one ten and forty eight. Uh, minus one ten. Correct. Yep. Yep. So Luke, you uh, you got to go with a spread now because you used up your over under. Yep. Uh, I got burned with the Jags last week. They had the lead with about ninety seconds left. They blew that one for me. I'm going to double down and go back to the well. Colts for whatever reason. Had a hard time with the Jags last year. All they needed to do was win and in the playoffs. Couldn't do it in Jacksonville. Give me the Jags plus four rebound back this week. 100 bucks, and that is at, I guess, minus 110 because it doesn't say. So minus 110. All right. Jags plus four. And that brings it to me. You said 100 bucks. Um, I've got to do an over-under. I like... Packers Bears going over. I just think that in better conditions, the Bears might be able to score a little bit more. And I think the Packers are due for a bounce back. I'm just I'm counting on a resurgence by Green Bay. And this always happens, right? The the tonic for them is the Bears in prime time at home. So I think they they score in the 30s. Bears just need to get me like 14 and that goes over the 41.5 which is a pretty low over under for a quarterback as good as Rodgers and that is minus 110 and I'm going to put 75 on it all right I got to do an over under um I think the market might be overreacting to the Rams a little bit I think they'll be fine uh the over under for Rams Falcons is 46 and a half and I think uh I think the Rams can get a lot of that and the Falcons don't need to do much. I don't think that game is going to be close. It spreads 10 and a half, but the garbage time points can get nice backdoor over sometimes too. So I'll take that uh, over 46 and a half at minus 115 and I'll put 50 bucks on it. 50 living large. All right. The picks are locked in. We will report back on that on not Monday, but Tuesday scheduling change for next week because of the Monday game. We would rather react to it than preview it just hours beforehand. So we will come to you Tuesday and Thursday next week. Uh, before we close, let's let's indulge a little bit in that Eagles game because we haven't talked a ton about it. Final topic, um, who are the key players for the Vikings? And I do want to acknowledge Derek Morin on Twitter asking this question. What player will be the most important for a win in Philadelphia? Are we saying besides Justin Jefferson? Um I, I guess I would He's say... He's not that important. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jalen Rager probably, was a higher pick. I, I, go with, uh, I go with Harrison Phillips. Um, this is one of those situations where if he doesn't record a tackle, he could still have an outstanding game. Um, but I am just worried about Jalen Hurst's ability to generate on the ground. I think that he's a pretty inconsistent passer. I think that, you know, the, the highs that we saw in the Detroit Lions game um, are not always going to be there for him, but he's always going to have that running ability. And I think being able to clog up those interior rush lanes as you rush the passer is going to be really important. And so for me, somebody like Harrison Phillips to kind of restrict his scrambles to one or two yards or even turn the scrambles into sacks is going to be really important. 
Yeah, stemming off that, uh, we talked about how rough of a game Jordan Hicks had at linebacker. Even without that poor performance, heading into this week, I thought, man, going to be so key to containing Jalen Hurts a little bit, keep him in the pocket, force him to beat you through the air. I wonder if they start to sprinkle in a little bit more sub packages or just get Brian Asamoah on the field and that speed, given how bad Hicks kind of played last week against the Packers and given the speed that we saw in the preseason, plus from Oklahoma and the coaching tape, uh, I think that he could be a key just, just on a small sample size, maybe on third and long third down situations, uh, bringing him in and get his speed on the field to try to contain a guy like Jalen hurts outside the pocket where he's just so deadly. Matt, if you could, can you show that last tweet that I had you queue up? I think the Eagles might be taking this approach with Justin Jefferson using uh, Darius Slay and James Bradbury. (laughs) If you're watching or if you're listening, it's the Saints trying to guard Calvin Johnson with basically two guys jamming him at the line of scrimmage. Maybe we're at that point, although Justin Jefferson just destroys press coverage. Um, Again, like I pointed to this in Green Bay, I felt like Razul Douglas was a weak spot for them, and I think they covered it up by playing some zone, and they kind of you know mixed up the assignments, and no, no one player was really culpable for allowing Jefferson to do what he did. But again, I think Avante Maddox in the slot is the weakness in that secondary, and that's always going to be the case with these slot receivers, which are often probably the worst corner on the field for a given team. If you can use Jefferson in these mismatches, I mean, he's going to do damage, and if he doesn't, Thielen or Osborne will. So... I really view this game as, as similar to what uh, what I felt about that Packers game. If you can just get the right matchup on a crazy receiver, I mean, you're golden, are you not? Yeah, I'm going to stay on the Vikings offense side of the ball too. Um, if we're not allowed to pick Justin Jefferson, I'm going to find a backdoor way to pick Justin Jefferson and pick K.J. Osborne, who I think the way that he – he's probably the next like fastest guy that they'll have running routes, unless you still think Thielen has it, but – It'll probably be some of both running in stacks with Jefferson and running clear outs with Jefferson and um, trying to pin guys underneath of Jefferson. And if he can do his job as well as he did it in green Bay, even though it's not flashy and it's not going to show up on the stat sheet. um, That's kind of how they sprung Jefferson clean uh, free and clear a lot alongside like the motion and the, the like, cross formation routes and stuff like that. But a lot of it too was the guys around him doing their jobs. Well, KJ Osborne having enough speed to really threaten the secondary and forcing their coverage to respond in the way Kevin O'Connell wants it to. Um, So if KJ Osborne, and then I I guess it also extends to like Thielen and Irv Smith and everybody else on the field. Uh, But if those guys can do their jobs cleanly, then you can get the looks you want with Jefferson. And then it's just a matter of if the Eagles have better answers. Hang out with Luke Braun and yours truly, the Locked on Vikings postcast that's after Monday night's game. Uh, you can you know, comment along. You can rip Joe Buck for his call or whatever you want to do. You can be interactive with us, but we'll have about 15 minutes of an instant postgame reaction after that game, Luke Braun and myself. Party fouls. Let's run the graphic. Matt DeBritz is the absolute best. Um, so good. Do the rabbits. Oh, my gosh, they're adorable. Luke Braun's <laughs> rabbits. Um, how are they at predicting football yep. games? 
surprisingly good. <laughs> I had them predict the entire Viking season last year. And uh, Zoe, the brown one on the left on that picture, went like 12 and 5 <laughs> against the spread. <laughs> Dang. That's unbelievable. Yeah. My wife has like this rabbit aversion. How would you sell her on rabbits? Like make a, an elevator pitch on I why rabbits not. are the best. I would not. Get a cat is my answer to that. No, if you want a yeah, if you want a, a cat that's as high maintenance as a dog, get a rabbit. Yeah, so Party Foul, NFL Plus, um, and NFL Game Pass, I think I already alluded to this, but for the league to take a product that was unbelievably cool and easy to use and to send it back into the technical stone ages these last two years, um, and after hearing all the feedback, this offseason about how bad the product was for them to roll it out again in 2022 the way it is. Um, I feel like I'm trying to operate like a, like a computer, except in 1965, like when computers took up the whole room. That's the, the level of unintuitiveness and complexity of NFL Game Pass now. So that's my party foul. Yeah, the, it is the bad. It is bad. Um, I, can I get dibs on the Broncos? Because what on earth? And in in if if anybody missed Monday night, the Broncos had this terrible snafu at the end of the game where they had a minute to go, needing a field goal, somehow wasted their entire play clock, then took a timeout, and then kicked a sixty-five yard field goal instead of going for a fourth and five. Just a, you, a lot of stuff there, right? They had three they had timeouts. Three time yeah. they, they, they had all three that they yeah they just they lost that one with two in their pocket, right? Yeah. Oh no no yeah. no! Luke, uh, they used it. They used them on the kneel downs. They didn't. Oh, they didn't right. leave them in their right. pocket. They used them on the net. Yeah. They got them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Made him snap. Nathaniel Hackett's not going to burn through. He's not going to leave timeouts on the table. But here's what. Here's where I'm at. So the real party fouls. People defending this. You don't have to work that hard, man. People there like saying. People oh, there, there was a tweet that went around about. Yeah, there was a tweet that went around saying like, well, football guys know why he did it. And when both Pete Carroll and then later Nathaniel Hackett himself was like, yeah, no. Pete Carroll was like, I have no idea what that was about. And Nathaniel Hackett himself was like, yeah, we just goofed. That was not good. So I don't think that's true. And I don't know why you're carrying this dude's water after one game. You had like a 13% chance to make that field goal using like a, a generalized average 60-plus yard kicker, right? A 13% chance, whereas he had probably a 45 or, or better chance of converting the fourth down, which, mind you, after you convert the fourth down, you can still kick the field goal. Like, that's the – it's not – you're not – it's not a go-for-it situation where it's touchdown or bust. You can just kick the yeah. field goal after the fourth. Like, that's just wild to me. You, you have – My working ex theory okay, is anyway. that he forgot he wasn't in Denver. I – that – I – I, uh, that went through my brain too, That's right? That you know, get the extra five yards at five mile, right? Uh, or at, at yeah, mile high. Like he had the wrong. Um, so my party foul. In front of him. My uh, my my party foul. Sorry, I'm cutting you off, Luke Braun, um, and Luke Inman, and Sam. I don't know if you already did your party foul. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> are you? My, yeah. Are you? Uh, are you? Go after right. yourself. Go after yourself, everyone. Yep. Um, my there party foul is, is Brett back. Favre. Uh, Brett Favre has defrauded the state of Mississippi 
in multiple ways for multiple millions of dollars. He owes $1.1 million in back taxes. He owes $1.1 million in speaking fees that he was given out of Mississippi's welfare fund for speeches he never gave. Uh, and then he also helped participate in a scheme, this is the most recently reported one, to funnel at least, if not more, $5 million, again, from the Mississippi Welfare Fund. This is the poorest state in the country. The money that was designated to provide people with the means that they need to live, he funneled $5 million of that into uh, both his own pocket as well as the uh, University of Southern Mississippi Volleyball Center where his daughter played volleyball. So uh, he knew that this was going to be an issue because he sent texts uh, to the people that helped organize this fraud scheme and said, hey, is this going to be public? Is, is the fact that I'm going to be getting money uh, public? Uh, and, and they said, no, it's, it's, no, you don't have to worry about it. It's not going to be publicized. And then later receives a text, hey, Phil Bryant, governor of Mississippi, uh, is okay with it. And Barb was like, all right, that's all I needed to know. Fantastic. So he knew this was wrong. He has uh, defrauded the state of Mississippi out of multiple billions of dollars through multiple ways. Uh, and uh, a lot of it comes from the money used to make sure that people can survive. So that's my party foul. Yeah, tough to top that one. Are you kidding me? That's just absolutely wild. Right. Um, NFL right feels a little petty now. Yeah, I think they all feel pretty petty <laughs> which now. Which is good. Uh which is yeah, right. Yeah, right, right, hold right. on to that feeling yeah right yeah. um last Petty one right here positive thing yeah party foul state farm stadium arizona cardinals who's the maintenance crew over there Are you kidding me andy reed was po they resodded the field just a couple days prior it was loose it caused or at least andy reed says it was part of the reason harrison butker and trent mcduffie their first round pick got hurt mcduffie's now on the ir he's out at least four weeks bucker's questionable tonight against the chargers um party fall what are you doing the only good news about this though we got to see justin reed who came on their starting safety come on and kick mm -hmm. a 54 yard field goal before halftime uh absolutely wild uh, nice to have a good backup like that justin reed maybe one of the best kickers in the league wouldn't hurt um i have no clue who would do that on the vikings i'm guessing adam thielen though maybe patrick peterson probably yeah. the two best athletes um that's the show and remember justin probably could locked on maybe ron johnson I mean, he's versatile hey. he can throw the football 50 60 yards um he can probably kick it too Locked on Sports Minnesota gives you not only this show, but the Ron Johnson Show, Superior Sports Talk, and the Locked on Vikings postcast. Find postcasts for the Twins, Wild, and Wolves as well. Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. It is free. It's available. And it's also on Amazon Fire and Roku. How cool is that? The Locked on Sports Minnesota app. For Luke Inman, Arif Hassan, Luke Braun, my name's Sam Ekstrom. Matt DeBritz directed the show. We uh, thank Ron Johnson as well for joining. We'll talk to you on Tuesday on the Minnesota Football Party. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.